Hey, what's happening today is going to be a very exciting day. I am having Andrew Foliato on the episode, and I've been excited about this. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. I mean, it's a long time coming. It's, uh, you know, we met a couple of years back. I think it was at the Buzz Conference just uh, before COVID. And uh, we I have a comment. it was the Buzz, or I think I spoke at your brokerage one time, and I can't remember which one we met first at. That's a possibility as well. That's true too, yeah. actually. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's been a long time coming. I've been excited. You got some new exciting news that uh, you've acquired a new thing, but I'm not going to tell your story. We're going to start off by letting you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah, so uh, I'm Andrew Foliato, like you mentioned. Um, so I was actually an agent. Um, well, now it's been 10 years. Uh, so I started back, like, back when every time you did an offer, you had to print out six copies plus a clean one for the lawyer uh, to date myself a little bit there. Um, so that's when I got started. So I did sold for two years, built my business online. Um, and then just started like doing trainings in my office, which the long story short there is ended up leading to an opportunity at one of the big brands head office to train agents. So I ended up training agents for about 14 months. Uh, but then every time we trained agents, we always heard the same thing. Can you just do it for us? So eventually I realized there was a pretty good business there. Um, so I ended up setting up a business called Just Sell Homes, which is our primary business that we help agents with their online marketing. Kind of bread and butter is typically like Facebook ads and email and then like building out the actual strategy. Um, and then just actually this past couple months and we just relaunched it on September 6th, we bought REM. Um, so if you're familiar with the newspapers that pre-COVID used to get delivered to your office every month, uh, the newspaper, uh, we've bought that and relaunched it on September 6th. So that's the new project we're doing now, which is pretty exciting for me because I remember sitting in my office when I first got licensed and reading it. Like I would, you know, between stuff that I was doing, to try to stay up to date on the industry. So I never would have thought that uh, 10 years ago I'd end up owning it, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of uh, interesting because you know what? Like you would think magazines are a thing of the past. Everything's online, everything's digital. But I got to say, like for me personally, there's something to having a tangible thing in your hand. Right. So, and, and I love that stuff. I mean, I st I'm still a subscriber to many magazines and, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, a little nostalgic, uh, you know, a good learning opportunity. We are, we're either learning or, yeah. you know, dying, you know, and we want to be on the learning side. Yeah. And eventually so. we'll probably bring the print back. Uh, so like right now our focus is like, let's get the digital up and running. Let's get all the kind of ducks in a row and going smoothly. Then we're going to start that process of like, all right, what would the print look like? Because one idea I've had, and if people have feedback, I'd love to hear it, is instead of doing like a monthly newspaper, is switching to like a quarterly magazine, like a little bit yeah. higher production quality um, and a little bit more in-depth with some of the content. So that's what we're potentially looking at switching to. Yeah, so you know what? what, what, what I, you, you gave me an idea there. What I think and I thought, and I'm going to give you unsolicited thoughts here, <laughs> is... Um, I like your idea of the whole quarter uh, month uh, release of a magazine because mm -hmm. you guys publish uh, regularly online. Daily. So that's a great opportunity to continue your online stuff. So there's a reason for people to go to the website all the time. Yeah. And then that quarterly just sort of gives it that next level uh, service. Yeah. And there's a lot of options that we can do there. Cause like I find with the monthly newspaper when it's like more news focused is even if it's a week after it happened, it's still somewhat outdated. Yeah. Whereas like if we did a high quality print, we could go more on like less things that's focused on like the date it happened and more like 
in-depth profiles of top producers and different things like that, where it's more like these things will be timeless. What's coming out. And they like each quarter would get a theme as a night ran one of the ideas we're tossing around and like create content around that theme. Which makes sense. Now, what was the inspiration behind grabbing the, uh, you know, like acquiring the magazine? Because obviously it shut down yeah. and, you know, like, I mean, COVID was a major factor in that, but um, it shut down and, you know, sometimes, you know, people let the, do- you know, let the dog sleep as they say, or something like that. Yeah. So, you know? I mean, I had tried to buy rum a few years ago. Um, I had reached out to them, but we were pretty far apart in the numbers of like what made sense for both parties. Um, and then basically like I've toyed with this idea on and off for probably five years of starting my own media company. Cause this is one of the things like I've known the industry need. REM was great on the print side, but they didn't do a lot online, which obviously that's always been my specialty. So the idea was, well, what if I just started my own? Like we've talked to investors, we've had invest offers from investors on starting one up, but none that like got us really excited enough to take time away from the agency to do that. Um, and then when REM became available, like, well, they shut down. So they were shut down pending finding a new buyer. I was like, well, I'd already talked to them about buying it. Maybe now there's a more realistic price point for what we'd be willing to pay. Um, so we reached out again, took like a lot of back and forth. And then eventually we were able to come together numbers. I mean, for us, obviously, like we obviously want to funnel business back to the agency on one side. But I also think as a standalone, the REM business model is great if it's adapted to the kind of digital world more than it has been in the past. Right. So now how do you manage your day to day? I have an editor. So Jim Adair has been doing it since 1989. He stuck around. Um, So, well, he came out of retirement (laughs) to help us out. So incredibly grateful for Jim. Um, Incredible reputation industry. Then we actually did hire a guy to be our new editor. Um, it was a funny story of like, so we were relaunching on Tuesday on the Thursday, he, uh, was handing in his resignation at his old company and, uh, they offered him equity to stay. <laughs> so it was oh, like wow. this, Oh, quick pivot. We don't have the guy we thought we did. Um, and then what ended up, it actually worked out really, really well for us. So we ended up one of the messages I'd sent, cause I'd been prospecting for editors instead of posting a job ad, I did a lot of manual prospecting. So like did searches like people whose content I like, people working in journalism. And it just happens that one of the people I had reached out to had just responded to us that Thursday. And just being like, you know, I'd actually love to talk to you about this. So it ended up working out because it's someone we're really excited about. So she's been a, we're going to announce her, I believe, next week. She's wrapping up some other stuff right now. But she's like producer of Global News for a few years. Like, oh, wow. Really high end on the journalism side, new to the real estate industry. Um, so we're really excited about her. Um, so far, like she's been doing a little bit of part-time work, getting up to speed. Jim's been working with her to like help her understand everything, like from an industry side, introducing her to the kind of the players. Obviously, I've been doing a little bit of that as well. Uh, we're really excited about her because uh, she's gonna. She's so far been incredible, um, and I'm really excited to get her on full time because I think she's. But she's gonna be driving majority of it. So, like I basically completely stay out of the content, uh, with the exception of like the stuff that I personally write. Which is awesome. That that makes yeah. total sense, right? Because there's only so much time in a day that you can do. And uh, scaling always comes with uh, trusting others. Yeah. And we also have to keep the business side separate from an editorial side. Like if you're looking at it from like a pure journalism ethics point of view, you can't have like what's happening with advertisers impact what's happening over here on the print side. So like, and part of the way we set up, which is it, 
it's hard. It was initially kind of hard for me to like let it go this way. Um, but we have is like, I don't see the articles until they're actually live on the site now. <laughs> well, that makes sense actually. Yeah. And you're right because if it's influenced, eventually things yeah. could not, you know, people won't see it the way they were intended. And when, when, exactly. and like, I, I, I know I have my biases. Like we, especially cause like with the agency side, we have clients that will be reported on. Um, and so even just like, and like between advertisers of REM and clients of just sell homes, like we're reporting on the clients I have close relationships with. So it's, uh, we've had to make that very, and that was one of the like things that she said when she came over is like, she'd have to have that separation of control of the editorial. So excited about it. Uh, it's a, it's another learning for me of letting go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I'm going to be honest in my past businesses, I was a micromanager and, yeah. and stepping back was real difficult. In fact, to be honest, <laughs> the, the way I got around my micromanaging yeah. is that I let the uh, employees or my employees work out of the office. I worked from home. I've heard people way. do that. We're, we've been fully remote for seven years. Like I've, that side I'm used to it. And like the past few years, especially just homes, I've gotten used to like not micromanaging. So like it, but then I've one point I went too far the other way of like not managing enough. <laughs> So it's like once I got used to not micromanaging and delegating everything, I so then it's like I I've now corrected back kind of a little bit closer to the middle, um, but it's yeah. finding that balance of like what's the right amount. <laughs> it's true. Now, now I'm talking about uh, you know back in 2004, 2005, right? Yeah. So and I was just like you know what it is if I see it in front of me, and I'm looking why are they doing that? Right? You can get to this yeah. this way, but there's many ways to do the same thing. But I would just like interject when I had no business interjecting and I would just mess it up. Right. So I, I thought, you know what? There are times that I stepped away. I was away from the office for two, three weeks and everything ran itself properly. Right. I mean, so I was able to do it remotely. So I said, you know what? Things get done better when I'm not around and I, you know, step in too much. So I just stayed home. You know? works. <laughs> exactly. So I, I pioneered, pioneered the work from home 20 years ago. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love I I don't I wouldn't mind an office again, but I do love the work from like I love not having a commute anymore. Like I used to commute an hour each way every day. And oh that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now that, that same thing with me here. Like at the time that I, I used to love working from home, but believe it or not, I love going to the office now. So I, I like working from home now that I have my own space separate from the rest of the house. So like when I first started Just Sell Homes, it was seven and a half years ago. I worked from our living room in an open concept house. And like the dining room table and the couch were my office basically. And that I did, that I would not be able to do long term because then it's too much overlap into your regular life. Whereas like now when we actually bought this house for the extra bedroom so I could set up an office. Uh, and then we ended up with another kid. <laughs> so I lost that office. So we renovated the basement. And the nice thing with the basement is like it, it's separate from where we hang out. So it's like I just come down here to work. So for me, the basement is workspace. And I can shut that off just by going. It's like my commute's the stairs. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I find yeah. I, I'm even though I'm by myself and I live at home by myself, I find that I'm getting too distracted with everything. Yeah. Never, it never used to be, but I'm getting to that point. But I thought about the same thing as you. Maybe if I finished the basement, yeah. work in the basement. So this way, when I'm in the basement, I'm at work. When I come upstairs, 
you know, it's personal yeah. time. No, that's hey. what I found. I, I need that separation. Like I don't even use this computer for personal stuff. I have a separate computer for personal now. Like I keep everything separate. Um, otherwise I just, it'll be a mess. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Now I'm going to backtrack here. And like when you started Just Sell Homes, I mean, you said you were an agent and you started helping people uh, because they wanted you to do it for them. Yeah. But what made you get out of real estate versus just continuing? So I did two years selling and then Remax recruited me. So when Remax recruited me, they just had like great timing, to be honest. So I, it did, took me six months to get my first deal. Um, Not well. First sale, I did like 12 leases in my first six months. <laughs> I grinded out those pretty hard. And then in the second six months, I did about 70 something thousand in commissions. So like it was not a bad second six months for being in the industry. And then I started really figuring out the online side of things. Um, and then just as like things were really going well for me, I had three clients who were like right on the edge, all postponed about 18 months to two years. And like that money that was going to be there was like all of a sudden like, okay, it's going to be postponed out. And just at the same time they gave me the head office of the brand made me an offer with a salary. And my thinking at the time was, well, it'd be good to build my savings back up because I know what works now. And then what I'll do is on stage. So this is what people used to make fun of me for this is every time I went on stage, I'd say the town I worked in a minimum of three times. My goal was build the best referral network in Canada. So like every stage I went on, I mentioned Aurora minimum three times, sometimes more like it, people would regularly make fun of how much I talked about Aurora. But my entire thinking was if they think Aurora, I want them to think of me. And then the other side is I got to meet top producers all the time. So I'm like, it's going to basically like going to Remax university. So I was with Remax at the time. And then from there, I'll come back to sales. So like I was saving as much money as I could getting back into it. Um, but then literally every training that I did for them at every brokerage, I'd get at least one person asked to hire me to do it. And like, there was people who like, without even prompting would come up and like offer me a thousand bucks a month to like do their stuff. I kept turning them down. Um, but eventually like, you can only hear that so many times to you're like, all right, there's a pretty good business there. So I ended up pivoting from the idea of going back. Cause like one thing I wasn't a fan of with sales was evenings and weekends, not being my own. Like yeah. I was I mean, for the two years I sold, I don't think more than one weekend ever went by without me doing an open house or two. Like I was generally two open houses every weekend because uh, I basically put a call out every Wednesday or Thursday in my office being like, if anyone wants an open house in any of their listings, I'm in. Just give me the address and I'll, I'll do the rest. Um, and I did door knocking, cold calling, all of it. Um, and I was not a fan of evening, evenings and weekends. And my wife especially was not a fan of it. <laughs> Um, whereas this business now I can kind of, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said it's actually nine to five, <laughs> but it's a lot closer to a, a kind of a nine to five type of lifestyle than a like 24 seven thing. So that was kind of the motivation of not going back to sales at the end of the day. That makes sense. I, I totally get it. Sometimes you just go where the opportunity is. Yeah. So now again, you got into r real estate in the beginning, like, growing up, nobody thinks of, Hey, I'm going to be a realtor. I'm going to get a, become a real estate agent. You always think I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a DJ. I'm going to be everything, but yeah. So be a lawyer. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. So how did that transform? Like, how, why didn't you complete the, uh, so I was doing a four year history degree at the university of Ottawa. And then I 
realized I was sick of school. Like I remember I was on like my third 25 page paper in fourth year and I was looking at like, okay, what do we do from here? And it just happens at the same time. There's my, my family, like my dad owned a concrete forming company and my brother was taking it over. He's a civil engineer. Um, and he was, him and I were just chatting because we chatted all the time and he just made a comment about like, you know, it's going to be tough for me to manage this on my own when dad retires. Um, would you have any interest in coming to work with us full time after school? And uh, the more I thought about it, um, and my brother and I are just like, we're really tight and we work really well together and we're really good friends. And so I started finding that option more and more attractive. And it was also just a really good employment offer. <laughs> um, so as I kind of, I thought about it more, I realized I'd actually enjoy doing that more um, than going to law school. So I ended up taking that job, working with my dad and my brother for a few years. Even my grandfather was in there a little bit from time to time. And then I bought a house <laughs> with my wife and the agent we had, who I actually really liked her. She's a lovely lady. Um, and for the most part, good, but she cost us the house we really wanted. And I kind of flippantly said to my wife, like, I could do a better job than her. And my wife said, prove it. <laughs> I don't know if she regrets that now or not, but <laughs> yeah, that's I decided interesting. I will prove it. So I ended up getting my license. And then I remember I interviewed at every big brand in my in Aurora at the time. And the office I ended up choosing, which was Remax York Group, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, Bill Jenkins was my broker and I interviewed with him. And the reason he got me to join there is I was like, so I'm working here at this concrete forming company. Um, I'm going to do this kind of, you know, evenings and weekends on the side a bit. And he goes, yeah, you can't join us. And I was like, pardon. He's like, we, we only take people who take this career seriously. So if you would like to come on full time, we'd be happy to have you. Uh, but if you're not going to be full time dedicated to this, you're not a fit for our office. And it kind of like clicked for me at that point and quit my job with the family, <laughs> dove into real estate full time. Wow. That's pretty uh, good. Yeah. It was, it's been an interesting ride <laughs> and it's fun though. Cause like my brother bought REM with me. He like, we basically own companies together. Uh, so we are at this point back working again together, uh, which is great. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's not what I expected when I got into real estate 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, definitely. Like even myself, I always thought, you know, once I got into real estate, I thought I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to do sales and whatever. And I find myself going, hmm. So this was how it happens at some point. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not giving up my license. I'm not getting out of the business. So anybody yeah. listening, it's just that now I see a different perspective where I'm like, hmm, how can I scale? How can I build? How can I grow? Yeah. There's so I, many different avenues you can do that are, really like useful supportive and like valuable for the industry and it's not always just straight sales yeah it's so true love it man love that story now you're doing like you're obviously um what i want to ask you is that like okay look let's be honest the market has changed things have changed things are different out there and staying on the market a lot longer than it used to now from your marketing perspective has anything changed with your clients like are you noticing a difference that's affecting you as well we're getting more requests for price reduction ads <laughs> <laughs> but i mean typically i mean and this is something if you look at most um kind of recessions i've because i've had to look at these things in the past to figure out what we might do with clients is in like recessions and where market slowdowns top agents almost always continue to perform. It's kind of more the bottom end of the market that falls out. 
And just because of the price point that the agencies add, most of our clients are kind of higher end. So most of them are still having pretty good volume. Like, of course, it's not comparable to the numbers they were doing in 2021. But I mean, that was a record breaking year. It'd be pretty hard to expect that to continue at that same level for everyone. Um, so for the most part, we're not changing. Like most people have pretty good systems. We're still generating leads. The cost per lead is not that much different. I mean, the only thing that's really changed is more of a focus on buyer leads than before. Um, and then sense. like a couple extra price reduction ads. Whereas like, you know, it'd been three years since we'd done an ad for a price reduction <laughs> so, or price improvement as some people like to call it. Um, but yeah, it hasn't, cause for the most part, like if you're a top agent, you're, you have good systems, you have them running, um, whether it's a good market or a bad market, it doesn't really change too much about how you do if you have it running well. And most of our clients either whether they had it running well before us or we've helped them improve it, generally most of them have it running pretty well already. So it hasn't forced a major change with too many. That makes sense, actually. And again, it goes back down to systems, right? Yeah. Like like I said, when I started, I wasn't doing so well. And then um, what I've learned is that to take opportunities like this market, like yeah. I started doing okay before 2020, right? It was just, it was consistent, nothing to brag about. But in 2020, we went into a lockdown. So obviously for the first two months, like everybody or first month, whatever it was, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? What do we do? And I noticed a lot of people were cutting back expenses, cutting back ads. And I actually decided to do the opposite. I doubled down. Yeah, that we've seen more of than people pulling back. Yeah, well, there you go, right? So it's like you said, when you work with top agents, they tend to do the opposite of the bulk. But we had that like at the beginning of 2020, like Just Sell Homes lost 40% of our clients in four days when Ford announced the lockdown. Wow. Like it was fast. Like it was one of those ones where it was like, did that just happen? Like that's a couple of years that I've been building this and 40%. But then by that July, we had already got all that business back and then some. So was it the same was, people or new people? Um, A mix. So like some came back. Um. I'd say the ones that were on like the edge already, yeah, they were gone. Uh, ones who were just kind of a little bit worried, not sure what to do, so they pulled back. Most of them came back, um, and then a lot of new people as well. But it's now since then, like it's you know anyone who I'd say anyone who was with us pre March 2020 that stayed through the lockdown is still with us, um, and then it's been a whole lot of new people after that as well. Uh, but yeah, no, we, I mean. From a business standpoint, the past couple of years have obviously been good for us. Like it's been for most agents. Um, right. And you mentioned a key point there for anyone watching or listening is that most people stuck around, right? So retention. And a lot of times people are focused on new business and they're so worried about the new stuff that they neglect the current customers. Yeah. I talk about this with our clients a lot. Like I, I always tell this story. We had a client years and years ago. And he hired an ISA, but he didn't tell us about this. And we were generating him leads. And he came to me as like, Andrew, for the past three months, I had an ISA calling your leads half the time and calling our database the other half. Um, I'm going to have to let you guys go because they got more business from the database that they were calling than from the leads. So that's a better use of time. I was like, you didn't even have to do that test. I could have told you from the start, calling your database would get more business than calling your leads. Like, all leads are for is to add to your database. Like it's like you get a hundred leads, you're trying to find two to five people you can add to your database because your database is where like the real money's made. 
and all it leads are is to help grow that database over the long run. And like, and it's that interesting concept. A lot of people don't view it that way, but like the database is the real goldmine for 99% of agents. Well, exactly. Nobody ever sold a marketing plan, but they do sell their database. Yeah. So, which is right on. Now, what was your biggest struggle when you uh, started out and how did you resolve it? Um, a lot of it was figuring out what worked for me. Um, Cause like I came from construction and my dad's business, he had never done a single thing of marketing his entire life. I came from a history degree, which is not a lot of marketing. Uh, it is a lot of research though. Like I, I remember sitting for hours at the war museum in Ottawa, going through reports and analyzing it and all that fun. I mean, fun for me. Uh, maybe not fun for everyone else. And that's what's real. So when I got my license, I was like, I have no idea how to market. Like my broker literally day one did the whole, like, here's the phone book start at A, um, which the best tip I ever got on that is actually started at D because everyone's given up by then. <laughs> um, but so I tried, I did cold calling, did not work for me. Uh, I did door knocking, which also did. Like, I actually got a deal in the second house I ever door knocked and thought this was going to be a really easy career. Um, and I was a, almost the last deal I got door knocking, but like I've done thousands of door knocks, thousands of cold calls and it was never successful for me, but I was doing like, I was involved in the community. Like I coached youth local basketball. I complimented my coaching with these Facebook ads targeted to the gym. Um, I did a lot of stuff within the community and then I blogged like crazy and did a ton of social media. Like I was three to five times a week putting out a blog post, like Minimum three every week at a Monday, Wednesday, Friday feature. And then Tuesday, Thursdays, I would often add another one. That became like my prospecting time. And within about six to seven months, I wasn't just like the top spot in Aurora. I was like spot one, two, three, and five a lot of the time. Like I was really dominating the rankings locally. Now, this was 10 years ago. There wasn't a lot of competition. Like today, it would right. not be that quick <laughs> to get up there. Uh, but back then, very little competition. And I had a, I'm probably the only person who ever got business from Google+. Plus. Um, Interesting. So I got a, Google, I got a lot for accidentally from Google Plus. I don't want to say this is like a strategy for me. My entire reason at the time, again, not coming from marketing, was well, I know I need to rank well on Google, so I picked Google Blogger for my website entirely because I'm like, well, if I want to rank well on Google, I might as well use a Google own product. And what I didn't know is when you publish on Google Blogger, it auto creates a Google Plus post, and because they were pushing Google Plus at the time they would rank within 15 minutes on the first page sometimes. Oh, wow. And this was like, and back then I was also a like registered Google author. So I even got like a byline in my photo in the search results, which they don't even have that option anymore. And I just remember getting a call one day from someone be like, Andrew, you don't know me. I'm an agent in a neighboring town. Um, but I wanted to pick your brain on how you're killing it on Google+. And my reaction was, I'm not even sure I have Google+. <laughs> <laughs> And so I went and looked at my profile and sure enough, it was like only 27 followers, but I had over a hundred thousand views on my account. And because every time it like put one of those posts organically through the SEO, um, like the organic Google rankings, that counts as a Google plus view and click through. And so I was driving thousands of people to my site because of Google plus. And it really helped me rank. So even once like Google plus, they got rid of that, I was now kind of, at the top and kind of had that little advantage built in. And then by the time I stopped blogging, like every time I put up a post organically, I was like anywhere from one to five leads without paying for them. And I was putting out three to five a week. So like it was a pretty consistent source of leads. 
Um, and then I set up like a Google ad to a very basic landing page. So I bought a domain, which I think someone else has since, cause I let it go. Um, someone else has bought and redirected the, their site now. It's called listingsearch.ca. Oh, wow. Yeah. And literally the ad was search all the listings, click here. You'd go to the page and I embedded just a contact form on a blank page. I just said, fill out the form below and we'll send you a list of homes that'll match the criteria you're looking for. And it was like name, email, phone number, describe your perfect home and your budget. And that was the whole landing page. And I would get leads daily from those ads. And I just kind of figured it out. Wow, that's that's incredible, right? Like, I mean, like, I love that. Like, you just proved another thing, right? It's not about the followers as much as the uh, views and interaction. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have 100,000 people visit my website because of a post than to have, uh, you know, 1,000 followers. But even then, it depends on the followers themselves. Like, I know agents who do six figures a year off, the, like, their Instagram account with 1,000 followers, and I know some with 20,000 followers who make nothing. Well, of course. Right? Like, it's... Like, you know, it's that the whole idea, which you've probably heard at some point, like the thousand true fans, like you only need a thousand true fans to make a million bucks. Is it's the same with Instagram, like a thousand targeted, like if you're like, for me, I'm in new market. If I, my, as an agent had an account of a thousand engaged people who live in new market, I would not need to grow that account in size anymore. Like that's a big enough size to get a good business in. But if all of a sudden I had 50,000 followers, but they're from Calgary, that's basically irrelevant. <laughs> that's true. No, that's where I was going with it. What I meant is like, I'd rather have a thousand or a hundred people who are truly engaged and truly interested than to have a thousand, like 10,000 people who never really look. Yeah. And it's, that's part of, like, I, I don't like fat follower count as a metric. <laughs> no, generally, right. Like there, there are certainly some value to it. Um, and also the business model changes. So for like REM follower count does matter more than it does for JSH. So like we also have to look at there's different de metrics depending on the business. Makes total sense. Yeah. Now, let me ask you something here with, you know, coming down to it, right? You purchased the new business and what's the ultimate goal? Like what's your worst case scenario and best case scenario? So, I mean, we obviously did this exercise when we bought it. Um, worst case scenario is I just bought a mailing list. Um, so when we looked at the purchase price, we basically looked at what do we pay right now for a new person to be added to our mailing list. And we took that number calculated against the size of their database. And that's what we offered them. So like our worst case is we just bought 30, 40,000 new email addresses. So that's the worst case. Best case, obviously it becomes its own standalone business. That's incredibly profitable. Um, but I mean, we don't need, I don't even actually need it to be profitable. Even at break even, I'm fine because of what we can then eventually get over. Like even without promoting JSH much on REM, which if you've been there, you can't really see a lot of promotion for JSH on it. Um, like the amount of people applying, because we have an application process to work with us. Um, our applications have shot up like 10 times. Wow. So and good for business for us. Like we're almost sold out of new clients coming on for this year. Uh, so like we're starting, we actually just had our first one yesterday who now is booked for January start with us. Um, so it's been really, really good for the business on that front without having to promote ourselves much. Um, so I can't really complain to be honest. <laughs> like it's been that's phenomenal. Good. But that's kind of the goal It's like, we want to, our goal with JSH is like, we want to work with the people we really enjoy working with. And then that like REM is something that helps us get in front of more of our ideal clients. And then we work less and less with the people that we don't enjoy working with. Like 
I was actually talking about this with my team yesterday and we employ what's called the eye roll test is if a client ever calls and we roll our eyes because we don't want to pick up, <laughs> then that's not someone who's going to be a client long-term. <laughs> that makes um, sense. And to, luckily we basically don't have anyone like that anymore. Like we've kind of, because I've, I have that and I know like the red flags to look for on sales calls now, um, we don't have those clients really anymore, which is nice. Well, that's the thing, right? Like everyone, when that happens, we get, we get in front of a certain person and they're very hard to work with. And I think I'm being polite. So with that being said, at what point in time, cause I mean, everyone's going to have that fear of if I give this up, what will happen then? And there's always that hesitation. Now it gets to a certain point where you grow and obviously grown to where you have, that's no longer the biggest factor. How yeah, did you get to that point? I mean, I've taken a lot of cl clients on that I wouldn't today. And I wouldn't say that it was a mistake that I did. Like sometimes, especially when you're growing and like, whether you're a first agent, you're starting your own agency, whatever it is, like sometimes you just need money. Like you need to keep the lights on and like, you got to eat a bit of crap sometimes to do it. I mean, it sucks um, to deal with people who don't treat you the way you want to be treated or deserve to be treated. Um, but to be honest, like, you got to people like I have kids, I got to feed them. I'm lucky to be at a point now where, I mean, I can turn away business if I don't think it's a good fit. But yeah, no, like first couple of years, basically, if you were willing to pay, I was taking you on. Um, <laughs> not always, but I've learned a lot of now from that, the red flags to look out for when I'm talking to potential new clients. For sure. Now you brought up an application process. So I'm going to ask you two questions in one. Um, no, I'm not. I'm just going to go straight to the application process, which is yeah. how, do, how does the uh, application process work? Like, what do you look for and who would your ideal client be? Um, so we like if you actually go to our website under the services page at justselms.com, like there's a you can actually see the button apply now. It has some questions listed in there. And then based on your answers, it rates you. And then oh, it's more it's a score that's given you. If you go above a certain score, it sends you to book a call with me. Um, and then if there's like. Then we it's basically we have like a no, yes, and a maybe score. The yes score, you just go straight to book it a call with me. The maybe score is more like, well, let us review your application and look at it. And then the no just shoots you away. Um, what we're looking for, because it's a little bit of a higher ticket item, it's not inexpensive. Um, obviously, like the ability to pay. So we look at like, what's the size of your business, stuff like that. Big one for us is, do you have time available? to actually work on this or staff to help you work on it. Cause like our main product right now is like an eight week thing where we help you build out your marketing strategy. So it's like an eight week program and you need to be involved in those eight weeks to get your strategy built out. So like if you come on and you take three weeks to answer an email, well then you're not really going to be a big fit, a good fit with us because we're trying to get all this built and done. And that's a pretty tight timeline to get someone's marketing strategy built in eight weeks. Like we have it systemized pretty well, so we can do it if you're responsive. So we're generally looking for people who, one, obviously can afford us, but then they're going to be responsive or have the resources available to take care, like make someone else be responsible, responsive for them. Um, and that's a big one. Then we're also just, to be honest, like I'll look at the wording of like how they answer questions. And that's just for me, like some of the questions are like, I know, well, based on my experience, how someone answers that answers some of my red flag questions on if it's someone I want to work with or not. Um, but there is a few questions in there that actually do give a weighted score out. 
And then depending on the answer, we'll flip you into what you do next. Makes sense. Okay. So you said there's an eight week program. Okay. So I'm glad you brought this up. So it's not just something where somebody calls you and says, uh, here's the check, uh, go market me. See you later. Yeah. It's obviously there's a process. So what is the process? I mean, once you get through the application and you decide to work with them, well, how does it work from there? Yeah, so we built a marketing framework that we've called the wheelhouse marketing framework. Uh, but basically, like one thing I've learned working with age, like I've been in the industry obviously a while, worked with a lot of top producers now, is everyone's business has what we've identified as six core components of their marketing that they all have. And whether you're a referral person, a cold caller, whatever it is, they all fit within these six. So basically like the AV strategy is we're going to identify like at the beginning and audit your business, see which of the six you might already have something for, where are the gaps? And then our focus is to fill in those gaps and then strengthen the other places that you have. So basically it's like the first one of the six is discovery. So how do people that don't know you exist, find out that you exist? Um, that could be, you could have a show like this, um, but it might also be referrals from your past clients. Then from there, we look at conversations. So how do people who discover that you exist start conversations with you? Because that's something that has to be done intentionally. Because it's one thing to know that someone exists, but you still have to have that next step of how do they start talking to you? Then from there, the next one is what we call the join, which is how do you get them to join your mailing list or your database? So it's like collecting their contact information, getting them into your kind of world a little bit more formally. For the fourth one is convert, which is pretty obvious. Just how do you convert someone who joins your mailing list into a client? Next one is trust. So you get them, you know, even if they're a client or not a client yet, you have to earn their trust. So it's like there and there's specific steps to take that you can do to help increase that process. And then the last step there of the six is loyalty. So how do you earn someone's long-term loyalty? Because I'm sure you've seen the stats of like 78% of people. It's either 77 or 78. I can't remember exactly now. There's like 77, 78% of people would use their same agent again if they could remember their name. That's true, right? It, that's the thing, right? It seems silly. Oh, they've used yeah. me for. How can they forget? But how many times even we're thinking of somebody that we've hung out with, gone to school with or whatever, and you're going to try to figure out who they were and you're like, mm, think I'm a jig. And it's like, uh, and if you can't remember somebody you used to hang out with that easily, you're not going to remember an agent you used that you met once. Yeah, exactly. So like if you can get one to three things for each of those six, you're going to have a pretty solid marketing plan. And what I really like about that framework too, is that like when I'm, at, you know, you're at a conference and someone comes up with a new idea, like that's a great idea is now you can quickly look at your marketing framework and be like, okay, where does it fit? And if it doesn't actually fit or make any of them better, you don't have to chase that shiny toy anymore, but like you can put it aside. So it also gives you a decision-making framework for when you come up with new ideas. And then it also helps you bring new employees and agents on the team because you can quickly like get everyone aligned onto the same idea of here's how we grow our business. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Now, now for a new agent starting up, right? Obviously you say that most of the people that you serve are basically people who are somewhat established and already uh, at a certain level. Now, what advice would you have for someone, you know, maybe he's got their license maybe a month ago and they don't know where to begin? What would your advice be? So you still basically use the same frameworks, just how you fill out the six ones are going to be different, right? Like if you're a existing agent, all you need to get people to discover the exist is your listings. If you don't have listings to leverage because you're brand new, well, then how are you going to get it? Like if I went back to sales today, like I'm not known locally. 
Like all my marketing is outside of my market. I would basically like, I have that show over a pine. I would take that show and just do it with local business owners now. So now we're doing the same idea, but with local people. So now we're using that show to get them to know that we exist. I would borrow listings from other people in my office and do things like that. And then I'd look at, okay, now I got them here. Now how to get them talking to me. I would do like a, one, there's two reasons I would do this. I would do a weekly newsletter talking about the market. So like, here's what's new on the market. Here's what sold this past week in the area I work. I do that one just to force me to learn the stats and the market. Is they're brand new. That's one of the most important things is to like know the market inside out. And then two, it's always something you have to invite people to of like, even if they're not looking to move, people want to know what's been going on in their neighborhood. So it's an easy way to be like, you know, even if you're not thinking of moving, here's a great way for you to stay up to date on what's going on. And it just, again, you're building your database of local people. And then over time, you'll be able to convert them. Um, but if you're brand new, like get that type of thing going, but you got to go hard on the people you know locally. Like you really want to focus. Like in hindsight, if I could go talk to my person now, like when I, who I was when I started, I would have been like, you should have joined a team. Um, done a year under a team. Like obviously if I had all the knowledge I have now, I probably wouldn't need to join a team necessarily because uh, I can do a lot of that myself now or within the team. But like who I was then in hindsight, I should have joined a team at the beginning because like I figured out the marketing stuff, but like I say I had to join a team, I probably could have sped up that process six to 12 months because uh, I had just so much trial and error of figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And a lot of people, like, I learned a lot from people, but I also learned from people who are already very successful. And one of the problems when you, and this I've seen this time and time again, is like when you study people who are successful, you're, most people study what they're doing now. Except, like, the example I give, so there's a woman who works for me who's, who's a singer. She, like, loves Beyonce, but, like, she can't market her music the way Beyonce does now. Because Beyonce just has to, like, put out a tweet saying, I have an album coming and it's already guaranteed platinum. Like, that's not marketing strategy. That's just, I'm Beyonce. <laughs> Whereas yeah, exactly. her, like, if she wanted to get up to that Beyonce level one day, like, she has to study what Beyonce did when she was a nobody to get there. And it's the same with, like, top producers. Everyone's looking at what are they doing now that's working for them. They're not looking at whatever they doing then that got them there. Because, like, the challenges someone has at 50 deals a year, 100 deals a year, and then 500 deals a year are completely different than someone who's doing five deals a year. Like it's such a different approach you have to take to get a couple deals going. Cause like if you're doing 200 deals a year, one or two deals changes nothing. If you're doing six or seven deals a year, one deal is the difference sometimes between like eating and not. <laughs> True. Right? Like it's a very different mentality, different approach you have to take. Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said there. Um, I'm one of those stubborn people that when I started, I refused to join a team, even though I would have learned from it. Yeah. I think it's worth it. Like I wouldn't even like, it gets a little bit more complicated. There's a lot of nuance of like, it's not the worst idea that like to make it a crime where like new people have to shadow someone for a certain amount of time. Right. Just to have that, like, here's how a business actually runs in real estate. I mean, I realized when you get into the weeds of that, there's a lot of complications and stuff. It's not right for everyone, but like there's a lot of value there of like working under someone for even if it's like three months. Like you're right, because you see patterns and you see and you get to learn what got them there, like you said. Yeah. Right. And I just and got lucky that like I became like my office's tech support person. So I got inside a lot of people in my office's business because like I had an office that didn't do recruiting. So like I was like the only young guy. So I just became the default. You're young. You can help me with this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I spent a lot of time, like I'd say like 
10% of the top producers in our office would hire me like, like hourly wages that were pretty good to come like help them set like one woman paid me like 200 bucks to fix her printer one day. Wow. Like a ridiculous thing, but like I had yeah. building these and it got to the point where they started sending me their extra leads. Like the first deal I ever closed was actually the top producer in my office got a lead that he didn't feel like working. So he gave it to me. Well, there you go. That's because of visibility. You were there to help him. So you were always in front of him and you provided value by helping him. So and people remember that value. When you give, you get. But if you give for the sole purpose of getting, that tend to, tends to never work out. And then they became the first client to just sell homes. Yeah, there you go. Right. That makes total sense. Now, looking at the time, I'm going to go into what I call the lightning round. And uh, then I'm going to ask you my last and final question after that. Sounds good. So first question of the lightning round is what is your favorite food? Pasta. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, Can't beat it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? It's yeah. And there's so many different flavors out there and choices. I mean, if you're looking to get into penne arrabbiata, is like my absolute favorite. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's a very spicy. I am into spicy yeah. stuff too. Favorite vacation spot and why? Depends on the mood, but generally, like, it's a good question. I don't have like one favorite. I do love San Diego. Um, like, if I'm doing a weekend, like a shorter thing like that, I'd say San Diego is probably my favorite because it's like beautiful city, perfect weather. There's mountains, there's the ocean, there's great surfing, there's some really cool spots to go to, there's good food. Um, so for like a quick weekend away type of thing, San Diego or New York would be my two go-tos. Um, and then I also just like, I'm a big fan of just like when I'm off relaxing, so nice Caribbean resort, I'm not against. <laughs> so I'm taking it that you don't go out very much because you know you said- I got three off. kids five and under. <laughs> <laughs> Three kids, five and under prevents a lot right now. Uh, yeah. But we are all going to Mexico in February as a family. So I'm pretty excited for that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, if you had any amount of money, like money was unlimited and you can do whatever you want, um, but you only had 48 hours to spend it, what would you do? Do I keep the money after the 48 hours or I don't? I lose it all? You lose it all. You, you, I, well, you can keep whatever you spend. For example, if you buy a car, you can keep the car. You can buy the house and keep the house. You can buy whatever it is, but you lose the actual cash after. What would you do? I would buy every property on the market <laughs> at cash flowed. <laughs> and then I would sit back, hire a property management company, and then figure out what I'm doing after that. But if it's unlimited money for 48 hours, I'd buy every cash flowing property I could find in Canada. <laughs> wow. Uh, that That's the first. <laughs> Awesome. Um, favorite podcast? I'll be honest, I don't really listen to podcasts too much anymore, um, mainly because I'm on a audiobook kick, and I am listening to a book series that's 14 books long, and each book's about 30 hours. So oh, wow. I don't have a lot that I've kicked back on podcasts for a little bit, so I don't have a great answer on the podcast side right now. Which makes sense. Then uh, I would say favorite book or audiobook. Um, lately, I've really enjoyed Traction by Gina Wickman. Um, okay. Excellent book from a business side of things. Um, anything by Phil Jones, I will read. He's brilliant. Um, he wrote exactly what to say and exactly what to say for real estate agents. Um, 
But yeah, like right now I'm really into like systems for my business because I got, I'm basically trying to like pull myself out of a lot of stuff while doing it in an efficient way. So like that's where Traction by Gino Wickman really helps. Really good for systems. Yeah. So it's all, you know, I love that. You always have a growth mentality. So final question. Well, second last question, but final actual question is how do you know you've had a successful day? You know, someone asked me that recently. I didn't have a good answer for them either. That's it's right. More, it's a gut feeling for me. Like if it felt productive, I'm happy. And then for me, it's more like I was able to have a good day with the kids after. Cause like nothing's worse than you finish a hard day and then you go and you kind of, you then have a bit of a hard day with the kids cause you kind of transfers. So for me, it's I, I, for me, a successful day is like I leave work and I can completely detach and spend time with my kids until they go to bed. Fantastic. And the final question is how do people find you? Uh, JustSellHomes.com. If you want to chat with me about anything marketing related, realestatemagazine.ca. If you want to read what's going on in the Canadian real estate industry, and then you can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook. You just search my name, Andrew Foliato. There's a G in there that's silent. Um, and you can follow me on there and shoot me a message if you have any questions. Fantastic. I want to say thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute delight. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. If you like what you've seen and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.